Hello and welcome to Football Masterminds. I'm Declan DeBarb, and I'm joined today by two people who live and breathe the Euros. First up, here's John Townsend. You'll remember him from last time, a familiar face or a familiar voice as it will. How's it going, John? Going pretty good, Declan. Quite a <laughs> extreme couple of hours there with the uh, Germany, um, Germany fans, Portugal, Hungary games. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree. And some of you who read the site will recognize this name, but a first-time podcaster, excited to uh, to be on this one with you, Sujay. Sujay Gorev, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good, Declan. Yeah, it's my first year, and yeah, it's been uh, an eventful couple of hours, you know, if being honest. Yeah, we're recording right after the uh, Germany-Hungary game and the uh, France-Portugal game at seven o'clock just about seven o'clock eastern i just want to shout out sujay who's up in the middle of the night in india so (laughs) we're really lucky to have i'm excited for some of these takes but let's dive into it you know let's start with the game that just didn't stop giving hungary two, germany two. there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about here and you know, the way that it would affect the group if the result went one way or the result went the other way. In the end, you know, it was um, it was Germany really pulling it out, making sure that they still have a chance in this tournament. You'd think that they're going through with the, with the new way that it's set up on four points, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Or is it six points? No, it's four points. Yeah. But Sujay, you know, Hungary did themselves no disservice in this game. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, I honestly think, you know, in the first game against Portugal, you know, they held back Portugal till I think the 84th minute, you know, like, like Portugal couldn't do a thing in the final, final third. And then again, in, in, uh, against, France, against France, they got a draw. I honestly think that if this game was held in Hungary and with all the fans in the stadium, like I'm sure Hungary would have, you know, snatched it, snatched it, recorded a win. So, it, it, I mean, it, it, just goes, it just goes to show how bad Germany were. It's just confusing that the tactics and yeah, yeah no, I that, that, I, that's, I, uh, I 100% agree on that point. And you know, say what you will about about Hungary, the group of death, they were written off, and some of the stuff that's been going around in the news about Hungary is not the most savory. But they were a shock package at at this tournament, and you know, they qualified for the last Euros, didn't put up a great performance, but this time they really came to play, and I think the full stadium at uh, the Pushkas Arena yeah, yeah. really yeah, did that really that did would have made a difference that would have made a difference a hundred percent but you know you mentioned Germany's tactical lineup and we talked about it on the last podcast that there needs to be a change how do you see them fixing this Sujay and what's going on I know I honestly it's coming in but you know they're going into the round of 16 but they need to do something absolutely first thing they need to sort out the strike position because that is something where they're confused I mean I mean, Kai Havertz can play that, can play that role, but then he's not really that striker, you know, the striker, you know, somebody like a Miroslav closer or you know, somebody like that who can get his, who can put his head, you know, where, where it's dangerous, you know, get scored. Havertz is more like, if you know, if I can say, he's more like a Dimitar Berbatov. John, I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> he's this lanky guy, you know, who just, who just strolls, strolls past games. But yeah, first thing, they need to sort out the strike position. I don't know, I don't know who they have, you know, whom they can thrust in at this point in time. And also, secondly, it's their defense, man. They need to sort out. They need they need to sort out their defense because today they were the the second goal that Hungary scored. Like there was a total miscommunication between the goalkeeper and the defense. So I think that needs to be sorted. And, and I think I don't know if it's going to be easy for Hansi Flick. I think it's going to be a 
a tough rebuild, just like what Spain is going through. Spain went through in 2018 when all their players had retired. So I think, yeah, I think we're seeing the changing of the guard, and yeah, let's see how it goes for them. It's exactly a changing of the guard. This uh, lo- coming into yep. the tournament was trying to really bring through this young crop of German talent, this this next generation of German dominance. But they weren't finding the goals in the qualifying uh, um, stage. That that's why he brought uh, uh, Müller back. That's why Hummels is back. But I think moving forward, he's going to go more into the youth. I understand why for the first couple of matches in particular that he started Müller um, because he's been in an incredible form with Bayern this season. But they have too many attacking options right now, and they just can't find the right combination. Ironically, if you if we would have had been having this exact same co- uh, conversation last year about Germany's lack of striker, Timo Werner was banging goals left and center for for RB Leipzig just a year ago before that Chelsea transfer. But because they brought him in, they still had Tammy Abraham, so they were trying to play Timo out wide, kind of screwed up his development a little bit. I think going into the season, provided that Chelsea sell Tammy Abraham and he can get proper striker minutes at Chelsea, I think going into the World Cup next year, he'll be the answer long-term for Germany. I totally you know, agree. If I can just add in. Of course, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you think Timo One is the sort of guy, you know, who's who can, who, who'll be like a fox in the box from what we've seen of him in at Chelsea and also at Leipzig? He's this kind of guy who likes to run at defences. But I think Germany have players like that. They need someone who likes to be a fox in the box, who likes to score those, you know, those tap-ins. I, I, I'm, mm. I'm not sure if Werner can do that, especially after showing the Chelsea last season. It's difficult to say because he's still young, so he could still develop that that poacher mentality. But but a guy, a guy like, uh, like Kevin Volland, yeah. he could potentially fill that role. They, they need someone else to come through to be that. I am a striker, not a winger, not, not anything else. True. I am a striker. Yeah, so. a proper, proper number nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and this current Germany attack, it's very fluid. You know, you have Muller who likes to drop deep, drift into space and and find a Kai Havertz. You know, when he was at Leverkusen, he was kind of that guy who would get his head on on things. And as you mentioned, Sujay, he, he really can play like that fox in the box. But, you know, I think that Yogi Love is... He has two main weaknesses, and those are the two that got exposed in this game. It's the defense, which we'll, which we'll touch on in just a second, but they don't have a striker. They, they don't have a Miroslav Klose. I think you're 100% right, and I think that that will hurt them against England because, you know, I read it. I can't remember where, but England like to raid teams, and I think that Germany will be super susceptible to that in the round of 16. But let's touch on Germany's defense here. But historically, mm. historically knowing England and Germany in the knockouts, you know, you know how it's going to end. You're going to need a stress ball from now till the end of that match. <laughs> what the heart is going to go to penalties, man? Oh God, no! <laughs> but let's talk about that that German defense. It's rickety. And I think that'll only get further exposed going forward. We saw at Bayern that Hansi Flick really likes to play that high line. And if he continues that at Germany, I don't think Hummels has much of a future. But even in the here and now, you know, his pace was exposed. His pace was exposed against France, where Kylian Mbappe, every time he ran at him, Hummels looked like he didn't know what he was doing. And he he looked lost. And that continued in the Portugal game, where even though, you know, the team had a fantastic game, on the break, he looked weak and... I think you saw it again in this Hungary game where Hungary waited and Hummels didn't look good. 
I think that defense is old, it's slow, and it needs to be fixed. It's also funny because Hummels in the fans game, I thought he actually had a great game, excluding the own goal. And to be honest, that was, I know what he's going for. He's going for a clearance. It just, it's, that's just bad luck, to be honest. That's a play you have to make as a defender. He he was put into an impossible position. Exactly. But he did a great job on a couple of plays, like keeping up with Mbappe. And he's been really good at the center defense in that fans game. But since then, he's looked a little old. But the thing I'm wondering about, why why isn't isn't, uh, Nicolas Sula played at all for this Germany uh, squad? I just checked, and apparently he's played like 17 minutes this tournament. He he should be... If I'm not wrong. If if that's the case, then then my apologies. But that's that's a guy who you need to have in that starting lineup because I I like Rudy. I think Rudiger could definitely be a world-class center back. But if you already have, an, if you already have some questions at center back, why are you playing a back, a back three? Yeah, that's, and also, that's a and ton also, of and issues. Also, you guys remember Jonathan Duff from Leverkusen? Like, what happened to him? Been wondering that same thing. Actually, another random uh, Bundesliga shout. Uh, Baku had a brilliant season in the Bundesliga this season. Okay. I have no idea why, why he didn't make the team. He's the perfect engine guy to, to throw in the, either throw in the midfield or play or play as a fullback and let, uh, letting Kimmich take over the midfield. I just I think that this Germany team has a lot of holes and that is that is exposed by a team that likes to play on the break and likes to play on the counterattack and it, they'll be in tough in the round of 16 against England. And also one more thing I don't see a leader in this Germany team who can you know who can take up that role because they're all role players if I'm not wrong. I think if there's one guy that stands out it's got to be Joshua Kimmich because Müller is get Müller is like this is his final tournament okay I'm assuming and Hummels like you said I think he's done. So where are the leaders in this team? Yeah, no, 100%. And it's Joshua Kimmich's, um, it's, it's his to take. And I think that going yeah. forward, he'll be he'll be mightily important. And I think he'll be mightily important uh, defending on that wing against England. But let's move on to France-Portugal now. Another great game. Another fantastic game. You know, I'd argue it was the best game of the tournament so far. It had everything, that you, had everything that you could have wanted, including penalties. Now, I have to ask you guys, the first two penalties, are they penalties? Okay, the first one was weird. First time when I saw it, because I played, I was a goalkeeper when I, play, when I played uh, football. So I have a lot of sympathy for the goalkeeper. Sees the cross coming in. I, I get it. He was going to punch it out. And the replay, he did punch the ball first before he connected with kind of the forearm area to, uh, um, I, think, I think it was uh, Pereira. Um, Danilo, yeah, Danilo, yeah. yeah. Danilo, Danilo. So he did. He did connect. I except I would say probably that is a penalty. I get. I get what he was doing, but it's a little dangerous. I believe it was the second penalty. There were so many penalties in, in, in this game. I'm kind of losing track of which was which. But the one when Mbappe went down. That was the second. That penalty, is. Yeah. Before that, that is ridiculous. That yeah. happens every single game. Yeah, yeah I thought I, the, yeah, the application the, the, of VAR was very strange in this game, especially at the end when there was a shout for, I believe it was Komen who went down in the box, got stomped yeah. on, and yeah, he, nothing he, he called. Was, he was fouled by Bruno Fernandes. Yeah. yeah, but causing all of these problems, and that's what really what the France penalty came from, was that scintillating France attack. They're just incredible. They're, they're so fluid. And I think Benzema is the player that they've been missing. No, no disrespect to Olivier Giroud. He's an incredible player who can produce some incredible things. But Kareem Benzema, he runs like a 26-year-old because he hasn't played for France. He scored his first goal since not being included in five years. John, do you want to talk a little bit about um, just how inevitable this game was and the scoring, the goals from Benzema? 
how this France attack works. Well, just walk me through it. This France team is Thanos. It's just inevitable. It's funny how before the tournament, they were still listed as the favorites, or at least one of the favorites. And that was before they added Benzema. That was when Giroud was going to be the striker on this team. And as you said, Giroud's really good. He should have, as I believe you said on the last podcast, he should have won multiple multiple Pushkas awards. But it's it's Giroud. It's Olivier Giroud. He's like two years away from the MLS. Having him as your central striker and then replacing him with Benz, how do you how do you stop that attack? One is a Ferrari. <laughs> the, the, the other one is a, mm-hmm. is a go kart, as uh, Kareem Benzema once said. <laughs> But honestly, no, I, honestly, at this point, I, I don't even think it's a go kart. I think it's one of the one of the shopping trolleys. You got uh, you got like Freshka. <laughs> Come on, man, that's Hutch. <laughs> but I I agree that that France that France attack it just works so well. It's so fluid, and I think one player that doesn't get enough respect is Antoine Griezmann. He drops so deep, plays that plays that defensive role that you know, this team really needs. He links the defense with the attack and especially how France like to play. Yeah, I mean, he's the perfect center forward. Benzema is a striker. He's the perfect center forward who links attack and the midfield. But also what should not go unnoticed here is the role that Paul Pogba played in the two goals. The pass, the first pass to Benzema where he was fouled by Semedo, which is, again, an absolute joke. That's not a penalty. That pass was from Pogba. And the second goal with which Benzema scores, that true ball was from Pogba. So it's if you've seen like if you've if you've seen the games earlier early games which France played, I think there's a sort of chemistry between Benzema and Pogba. And I think going forward, I think if France get their the formation right, then I think France, I mean they were they were favorites, but now looking at the chemistry and looking at you know how slowly this team is picking, I think yeah, they are they, they should be considered solid favorites, not just favorites. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. This France team is just on another level and it feels like they haven't shifted out of third gear at that. But, you know, they talk about teams building steam going going in. Italy did it in 2006. Spain did it in in 2010 when they when they won the the Euros. But this team is just ticking. Or sorry, the World Cup rather. But let's the, talk the World Cup, yeah. Let's let's talk about Portugal here. A huge night for for Ronaldo, he scores two penalties, and if I'm not mistaken, that makes him the all-time men's leading leading goal scorer yes. in international tournament. Claire still number one by a wide margin, but <laughs> we won't get into that talk. How good was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, John? I'm starting to wonder if he's the player of the tournament. I know, I know, Lukaku's been in incredible form. I off the top of my head, I'd still probably give it to Lukaku, but. I was under the impression coming into the tournament that Portugal, when they play with Ronaldo, they have to feed it to him so much that so crucial for the side. He's he's at he goes for every single header. He's always at the right at the right um, spot. There's a time when I believe it was it was uh, Ruben Diaz who headed the ball backwards. Ronaldo was just there waiting in the perfect place to catch a volley. He's everyone on the pitch. He's such an amazing player. And and at this age, too, he's what, 35, 36, 37? Like, he's... 36. 36, yeah. He's, he's in, just incredible. But I was also thinking, this was the best I've seen Portugal this, uh, this tournament. I wonder if it's because they finally started Renato Sanchez in the midfield and they finally have some dynamic midfield, midfield, uh, midfield play, whereas before they kept on playing with the double pivots, 
against Hungary. No idea why, but yeah. And now I believe this game just started. Uh, Danilo, Jamutinho, uh, and uh, Renato Sanchez. They and they had a fantastic game. It was a great, great game for Portugal all around. Yeah. Do you yes, see them carrying that steam going forward? You know, they have a tough opposition yeah, like- next. They play Belgium. You know, number one ranked team in the world. And you're right. I think that Ronaldo has found another gear, something he doesn't have at, at club level anymore. I just, you know, he was the top scorer in the city. Uh, still, I think he hampered Juve, but that's not a conversation for today. He unlocks another level for, uh, for Portugal and they will die. They will die on his shield. How far he takes them is, is, is where they'll go. I'd say moving forward though, against, against Belgium, I worry very much so about uh, Portugal's defense they only have three center backs on the team, and um, but, but but between uh, Pepe, between yeah, Fonte and uh, um, between Fonte and Pepe, combined age of seventy-two, I worry about the defense going up against Lukaku. What's worrying for them is the injury to Nelson Semedo. I mean, considering the fact that this is Diogo's first first it's debut for Portugal, and it's coming at such a time, like what would be his nerves? Yeah, a hundred percent. We turn our attention now to Sweden versus Poland. What a game this was. You know, not I didn't expect much from it, but end-to-end action, Sweden defending for their lives, yet scoring three. And I can't help but think that Poland are very unlucky here. You know, Lewandowski had that opportunity where he had the double double free header in the box. Lewandowski playing for Bayern scores those goals. Lewandowski doesn't score those for Poland, but he still ended up grabbing two on the night. Sujay, just how important was Lewandowski to the almost comeback, to the almost qualification for Poland? It was inevitable, wasn't it? I mean, who else but Lewandowski for Poland? I mean, he's he's the one guy that carries this team around. And also, like, the the the, the, the event that you're talking about, the, the time where the ball hits the crossbar twice, I mean, that's that's that defies physics. I mean, that's what the commentator said. Like, if you heard the commentator, that defies physics. I mean, it just... You see it once. I have to see it like two, three times to understand what really what really went on there. But yeah, I mean, Lewandowski is he he is the man. I mean, if Portugal is if if Ronaldo is the man for Portugal, like this man is the king for Poland. That no, that's that's that is the, that is the weight he has in his shoulders. But yeah, it's 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 just unfortunate. But yeah, credit credit to Sweden. Because 100% credit to Sweden. What a defensive performance, especially. You know, we'll talk about Isaac in a minute, but Sweden are an awfully tough tough team to play against, and I wouldn't want them in the next round. They're so solid defensively. Exactly. They're, it's not always about the quality of your players, and Sweden, Sweden goes to show that, because other than Isaac, Forsberg, handful of other players, they don't have that star quality, but they work hard together as a team. Such pride when they play; they never give up. It's it's a tough team to uh, face, but uh, but uh, with with Isak, maybe his moment was it was in that first game against Spain where he torched that that Spanish team somehow. Not not scoring a goal, but just from watching the game, you were looking at him like, yeah, that guy's going to be a sixty million pounds striker. I, I think he. I feel like he's going to have something going on in the uh, in the next round. Next round, he's facing Ukraine too, and then if he gets out of that, he's going to be facing uh, England or Germany. So he could maybe bag one against uh, Ukraine. I I don't really trust 
either England or Germany's defences as well. So I think he could really have a moment in the, in the uh, coming rounds. But Sujay, just tell me how important Emil Forsberg was. You know, he ended up scoring twice, if I'm not mistaken, but also just pulling the strings in the midfield, creating everything uh, for Sweden. He's really, he was really the heartbeat of this team. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like, he is the man for Sweden now. I mean, as long as it pains for us to say it's no longer Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but Emil Forsberg is the man for Sweden. And yeah, I mean, the, the, he, he also took the penalty, you know, in the previous game. And even today, like the quality of those goals, especially the first goal to take it on his left foot. I mean, that, I mean that's, that's class. And the way he, he, he does the same job as Griezmann, he links, you know, the midfield and the attack. He's not, he's not, the, he's not the number nine, but, you know, he's the perfect link between midfield and attack. And I think that's very important going forward. And like John said, you know, Isak, you know, they have a very good striker in him. So if, and, 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 and he's, and he's still, still very young. So, so is Forsberg. So, I mean, it's, it's only good times there for Sweden. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm, I know that Isaac has some huge boots to fill given the absence yes. of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but uh, the kid's doing himself. He's doing himself well. Let's now move on to, can we call this a battering? Can we call this a shellacking? Spain five, Slovakia zero. There's a lot that we can take away from this match, but I think I think the most important thing that we can take away is this truly is the tournament of penalties and own goals. Two own goals, one from Dubravka where he just punches it in his own net. You really feel for the guy, but Spain were class today. We can nitpick about certain players. Morata didn't have a great game for himself, even though I still think that he he was able to pull a lot of the strings. But Sujay, you mentioned that it's these Spain players playing in the right positions. Can you explain that to me a little bit? And why did it click this game for Spain? It was Moreno playing to the left. They finally had a proper rigor in Sarabia to play on the right. And I think that sort of, you know, boded well for Spain when they had to cut in and play. Of course, Moreno is left-footed. But then they also had a striker who could make those runs in Morata. Defender in Aspilicueta, you know, down, down, down the right flank. Marcus Lorente, he was playing much further forward. And he is a goal scorer and, you know, he's an attack-minded player. So, it would only make sense, you know, for the manager, Enrique, to play further forward. But then today, since it was a very important game for Spain, I think he stuck to basics. And yeah, it all worked well for him. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I mean, you just felt that this was coming for Spain. I think they came into the tournament um, with the highest expected goals for, for those inclined. But, you know... He's faced a lot of anger, and I kind of get why. Alvaro Morata, you know, he misses the penalty. Then he has an incredible save, incredible shot saved by, by Dubravka in the opening moments. And, you know, it kind of just felt like it was going to be more of the same old from Spain where they just can't find the back of the net. That they're almost like a tribute act to the Spain of 2010. And they were able to get it done on the day. But going forward, John, what role do you think Morata plays? Um, bench warmer. I, I, I don't think he was good at all in the match, uh, specifically with the, with the Laporte goal. Laporte was in the exact same space Morata should be in, right, right in the middle of the box, ready for a header. That is your role. You are the, the, the poacher of the team. And he's just always in the wrong place, wrong time. I, I remember liking him. I remember really rating him when he went to Chelsea. Didn't really... Things didn't really work out there. I remember thinking, you know what? Okay, going to Atletico Madrid, I like the fits. I like, I like all that. It's great. Going to Juve now, sure, wasn't a big fan of that, but I guess. 
I'm, I have no idea what, what's his purpose now. Uh, for me, moving forward, I would move Pe- uh, Pedri up, uh, move, move um, a Moreno in at striker. So, so the front three is now going to be Pedri, uh, Pedri Moreno, and uh, uh, Sarabia, and have have the midfield then of Thiago, uh, Thiago, Busquets, and Koke, because all of a sudden that's going to be a workhorse midfield of the Tasmanian devil on the left of uh, of Sergio Busquets and Koke. He he Koke had a great game today from from what I've seen of it. Um, and the defense as well is solid. Questions at right back. As Pelicueta, I I like him, but I question his his pace to be a fullback at this at this point in his career. But Jordi Elba and uh, 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 Gaia both at left back. That's two great options. Laporte and Eric Garcia. Yeah, you can do better than him, but he's, it's solid. It's manageable. And then that's fantastic. All these they have such a good team. They just need that striker, and I don't know why they keep on putting their eggs in, in the Morata baskets. Yeah, the first one you said you'd you'd, you'd move Pedri forward, right? You move him to the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, move, move him move him up in a winger spot, whether he wants to go on the right and uh, Sabio on the left. Uh, or for or for Antores, I'm I like Pedri more than for Antores at this point in the tournament because I find that Pedri's just been. Incredible so far, and the reason why I'd still have Sarabia in there is because of his performance today. Again, it's kind of take your pick two or two or three of those. And also, secondly, uh, you you mentioned Laporte, right? Pau Torres and Laporte they both left-footed centre backs. Do you don't do you think that's going to be a problem moving forward against the big teams? It may be, however, especially in a tournament like this, I'm going. Let's get the best starting starting eleven out there. I wouldn't. I want to worry about it how, starting Partores and, La- and Laporte, even though they're both left-footed centre-backs, if you have to downgrade from one of those to Eric Garcia, just to get, okay, yeah, we have one left-foot, one right-footed. Yes, in an ideal world, it's better to have one left, one right, but I, I wouldn't downgrade that far to go to Eric Garcia just to accommodate that. I think where he hasn't succeeded in his career has been when where he's played as a lone striker. I, I think that he's that link guy. I think that he would be better suited if he played with someone alongside him. Now, I don't know what the answer is um, to that. I don't know if Spain have an obvious guy to play alongside him. But you look at you look at Chelsea, you look at Atletico Madrid, you know, those weren't positions where he was set up to succeed. He's not a guy who can play alone. And I think he's just kind of average. I think he's just kind of average. And he needs another guy to actually put him away. But Morata can do things uh, by dropping deep and creating space. You see it at Juve, where he really does create space for a lot of other players. So I think that writing Morata off because of the performance at this tournament isn't exactly fair, because I don't think he's been put in a position to succeed. Though I don't know how you fix that at this point with the squad composition. As well, I find confidence with a player goes into it a lot. And if you're not performing some players, it just gets into your head and you can't get it out. And I wonder if Murat is one of those guys that he needs to he needs to get that ball rolling. If not, it's it's just gonna be downhill. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And they have tough composition, tough competition <laughs> in the next in the next round when they play Croatian. Let's move there now. Scotland won, Croatia three. This was a huge game for Croatia. A must win, really, 
for the Croats coming into the into the uh, game with just one point. You know, they crushed my hearts a little bit. I was cheering for the Czech Republic to get through. They will get through, but they don't go through in second. But let's focus on this Croatia team. Just how good is is Luka Modric? The guy can do it all. He's getting up there in age, but he puts this team on his back every single day. And he is the reason why they go as far. You know, we talked about the same thing with Ronaldo, but Modric, Modric does that all from just a little bit deeper. And he's able to have that, mo- that moment of brilliance. And I think that that first goal really killed Scotland. The quality on, on the strike, the curl from the outside, outside of the boot. And, you know, some of the pundits were a little hard. They should have saying they should have closed him down a little bit earlier. But I, I, I just think that that is more the case of a player being incredible and scoring a goal rather than some failure. And I think a lot of people like to find the breakdowns in that, but sometimes players are just that good. But let's talk about Scotland. You know, their first tournament in my lifetime, last their last tournament was 98. I'm, I'm a 99, so incredible stuff. A great moment. They got to play really a special moment for the Tartan army. And I think that, that this is a building point. Don't you agree, John? Definitely. Um, I kind of grew up with Scotland being the England B team of just uh, <laughs> the guys going on, like too good enough to go to England, go to Scotland. The future is bright for Scotland. If you, if you look at it, they have guys like Che Adams, Billy Gilmore, shut down England. I'm trying to bleach that England Scotland game out, out of my brain as soon as possible. But, he was incredible that game, all over the place in the midfield. They were they were really missing him against the um, against Croatia to shut down Modric. I actually wonder if Billy Gilmore was there, if they could have uh, get, gotten a draw out of that match. Um, but anyway, so they have Trey Adams, Gilmore, Tierney, McGinn, uh, Scott McKenna, guy who I really like at centre-back, who I think could be definitely a, a starting quality centre-back for Scotland. He's also have Andy um, Andy Robertson. He is 27 years old, so I'm thinking the next Euros slash World Cup are going to be his last at his prime, kind of just exiting his prime at that point, but still good enough to be considered world class. All they need is a, is a little bit of luck, a little bit of uh, of luck at a few different positions. And they can actually make it out of the group stage next uh, uh, next Euros and next World Cup. You mentioned luck there. I think what they need is a striker. Wouldn't you agree, Sujay? They just need someone who can put away those goals. Absolutely. I mean, I'm still in shock how they how they didn't win against England for the kind of chances they created. I mean, they were the most create, creative team. And like John said, I mean, they really miss Billy Gilmore here in this game. Yeah. So, yeah, all they need is a good striker. And even in the first game against the Czech Republic where Patrick Schick scored those two amazing goals, they create. it's not like they didn't create any chances. They created chances. In the England game, they created more chances than England, even today's game. They created a lot of chances where Shea Adams had a couple of openings, and I think Dykes had a couple of had had a couple of you know nice chances. They just need that that little bit in the final third, and if I think they they get a proper striker, I think yeah they'll be fine. Yeah, a hundred percent, I agree. And good for Scotland. You know, this first tournament is all about getting your feet wet, getting in the pool, and and getting down and dirty. And they did, and they got a result that they'll that they'll remember, I think, for for quite some time. And it's really a tournament to build on, but let's go south of the border. Let's talk about England. One nothing against the Czech Republic. I thought that it was a very convincing match. I thought that they played that they played well. They got the goal they needed, and they took their foot off the gas. Where do you sit on this, John? Because you're making a face. It's frustrating being being an England supporter. 
especially when we have this much talent. I sympathize with Joe Southgate. I love him as a manager. He he had an impossible job in 2018 because this is coming off of getting knocked out by Iceland. England, the home of football, getting knocked out by Iceland. He went from that to making a, um, a semifinals in the in next World Cup. That is incredible job by, uh, by Southgate. Yes, I know that the draws were, were a lot more favorable. They were incredible in set pieces. You can make arguments that way. However, they won the games. They got to the semifinal. What you can else only you beat the they, team in they, front of you. Exactly. And they, and they played great that World Cup. What I'm fearing is what he took from that World Cup was given the pieces that we have, how in the semifinal, we were playing a very old Ashley Young on the left. We didn't have, we weren't that much of a talented squad back then. So I'm fearing that from that, from that last tournament, he's taken that and gone, we, we are not at the same level as a Portugal, as a Germany, as a France, as the major nations in Europe, let alone the world. So we need to set up defensive. We need to play conservatively. We need to just get through the match, get, get on to the next one. Having that mentality affects the squad, it's a squad as a whole. So all of a sudden, when that squad goes, we've got to face Germany next round. Oh, God, I know Germany. They are numerous time winners of the tournament, and they get psyched out. That's what I'm feeling. Looking at the squad selection, uh, especially for the opening match, I had no main, no, no real issues with it, to be honest. I understood why he was signing Sterling, giving a nod to a veteran of the England squad who's been there for years now. Even though he had a bit of an offseason, he still performed relatively well for England and has, his three games, performed pretty well. He had a couple misses. The la- uh, last game against, against Czech Republic had a, had a really good game. But I just don't understand... Southgate's tactics. He's he's a manager who play who plays for set piece opportunities. Why is Grealish not in the lineup every single game? That's all Grealish does. He only gets free kicks. He only he only draws fouls. He seems like the perfect Southgate guy. I have no idea how he's not in every single starting starting eleven. The England has so much creative talent that you could that most people want to start fifteen guys. So if you take if if you want to start Grealish, you have to take someone out. Now Kane, Grealish on the left, and San, um, um, Sterling or Sancho on the right. I am acknowledging Sancho is an incredible player. He's going he's going to lead lead England to in in the future definitely. He hasn't performed well well enough for England to I to where I feel like Southgate has or he's earned Southgate's trust. So for this tournament specifically. Especially how Southgate's only given given him ten minutes on the pitch. That's criminal. But for this tournament, I can't see Sancho getting in there. Sadly, because I just feel like Sterling's made that position his own. But I don't know why we're so dead set on playing a pivot. In this group, we're facing Scotland, uh, Scotland, Czech Republic, Croatia. I don't know why we're giving the, those oppositions the respect to play to, to play double pivot. Especially when the double pivot is when, when they go on the attack, double pivot turns into three at the back with either Phillips or Rice, depending on who, who's going up with the uh, with the attack, moving backwards to play but to play a back three, which Southgate loves. I'm just kind of at a loss of words for why why we aren't playing more of an attacking style with the with the great attacking players we have. Saka as well played in uh, played in yesterday's match. He was really good. 
why not give him a try at, at, at uh, left wing back? If if your argument is that he goes forward too much, he may get lost in the play on offense and not be able to attack the defense. Guess what? We already have we're already playing three at the back with the, with a double pivot to go, going into three at the back. So we're covered that way. There's just some interesting tactics that Southgate is using that I just don't understand, don't agree with. I really, really like him. I feel like he motivates the team. I feel like the team loves him. He sticks up for the players. But I don't think he's the man for a job because I think he's, I think he's coaching scared. But John, I want to I wanna push back on that a little bit. You know, they're not... England did play that conservative... But I think that that's just tournament football. And you don't hear that said about Didier Deschamps. His team is arguably defensive. And I mean, they won the, they won the World Cup. But England haven't conceded a goal in this tournament against a Croatia side that, well, I don't think is at its best. It's still good. You know, the Scotland game was frustrated. I, I, I understand the frustration and tactics and not really going for it. And you kept a... Czech Republic side, which we'll touch on in a moment because I have some thoughts about that, silent with the informed striker of the tournament and number of quality pieces. So, you know, you say all that, but it's clearly working. And, you know, tougher opposition ahead, but I think that this mentality might actually help them in the games ahead. They do have a tough, a tough draw going forward. This isn't easy. So what would you say to those that say he hasn't conceded and what's wrong with playing a little bit defensive at, at a tournament where, you know, you can't, you can't win a game by, by scoring four or five, but you definitely can lose it. I, on some level, I get that argument because we have been very good defensively, especially yesterday. Yesterday we had the best defensive performance. Other than a, a few hiccups in the first half when um, uh, when, the, when there's a shot outside the box that Pickford, Pickford made a great save on, as well as a bit of a bobbled right in front of the goal. Apart from those two opportunities, we were fantastic on defense. But I, I want them to go forward more in the group stages to generate momentum for the knockout bounds. So they're not playing scared against the Germany. To where they're going, you know what? Like we have you know, Saka, anybody, any of our attackers could torch this German back line. But I, I question whether or not we have the the confidence to go and do that. I, I fear that we're going to play scared. And another point, because I had a ton of notes written down about this uh, England squad that I forgot to mention. They have needed the, the, the creativity in the midfield. It, with with Delia Lee falling off of a cliff, they don't have as much of a creative presence as it did before. So he has to step back further, collect the ball in the midfield, and then ping passes to Son, uh, to Son, Bale, any wingers cutting in. I understand that with Spurs. Harry Kane does not play for Spurs at the moment. He plays for England. With the amount of creativity in that midfield, we don't need him to, to be playing a box-to-box midfielder role. There were times when he was back as far as far back as Maguire pinging a pass to uh, to Saka on the right hand side. Yeah, it was a great pass, and yes, it created a, a score a scoring opportunity. I'm pretty confident that Maguire could have made that same pass. I'm pretty confident that Luke Shaw could have made that pass. Could, that Rice Phillips, any of any of them could have made a pass like that or very similar to. I want to see Kane up there playing a st- in the striker role while having. The, the incredibly fast wingers cutting in, wrecking havoc, allowing the midfield to 
get the ball and kick it up to Kane. I don't know why Kane is playing so far back. I really feel like that's uh, getting in the way of England's scoring opportunities. And he needs to almost remind himself that he's the, one of the world's best strikers. Yeah, I totally agree. But uh, I think that England will be a little bit more reassured. Henderson coming back from a groin injury, if I'm not mistaken, and Harry Maguire, who is ever-present slabhead <laughs> at the back. That pass Maguire had to Kane when when Kane, when Kane missed that uh, shot, I was kind of stunned because I thought he, I thought he was going to ping it first time, but he uh, he deeped and and ended up missing. But that pass, that is what I want to see. Kane up top, Maguire picking a pass right down the middle of the park to get that was perfect. But then having a Harry Maguire, having Henderson in there, even though the, even though one of them is coming off the bench, I think that works wonders in terms of mentality. And like and as John said, you know, Maguire is capable of getting those passes, you know, spraying those passes out. I think Kane has to be on on the heels of the centre backs. And and as John said, you know, Hummels is very slow. And what what is important is I think Gareth Southgate needs to find a way where he can include. I mean, for, for first, I mean, first let let's get this straight. I think Grealish's player is, is himself into the game within the starting eleven. I think Grealish is not going out. There's just something about him, you know, the way he the, the he, that center of gravity that he possesses and the way he just glides with the ball. I think that is something that is very very vital, and I don't. As, as as good as Basin Mount is, I don't see him doing the role that Grealish does. I mean, with the whole, you know, having the ball and, you know, winning fouls, that one. And I also think Southgate needs to find a way to play Rashford and Sancho because those guys have pace. Like, they've, they've, they've got speed to burn. And if they're running at the German back line, then I think it's, it's game over for Germany. Yeah, I think I think that I think that you're a hundred percent right. I think pace will really be the answer here. And don't forget, Jack Grealish has the most kickable shins in the world. <laughs> but John, I'll let you jump um, on so, this. Just, uh, I was just gonna say, you you were saying to play both Rashford and Rashford, Rashford and Sancho. Would that be pushing Grealish into the Mason Mount spots? Yes. Okay. I hear for me with Rashford, and it's it's in a perfect world. I'd love to have him off the bench. Bring him on 60, 60 minutes past and just torch, torch a tired defense. Especially because I find Rashford's best playing as a striker. He's he's still great coming off of the wings, but that's his bread and butter, playing playing in that striker. So shoehorning him at, at winger when when we could still put Grealish. I haven't been as impressed as Foden, to be honest. Foden's a bit all right, but... Mm, uh, but I, I don't. I don't see. Right. Southgate is a defensive manager. There's a reason why he's playing Saka in, instead of Sancho because Sancho is not good. It's not that good defensively, but Bukayo Saka is. So that is and the, and there's a, one more reason is he plays a double pivot when it's not needed. So Southgate historically has been a defensive manager, right? And I think that's not going to go. So it's how you incorporate all these attacking players into that that front four and wreak the most havoc. Yeah, I I 100% agree, but I think I think John you bring up a good point that Rashford's pace will really cause Germany problems and playing him centrally might especially cause them problems where he can drift in between the three center backs assuming Yogi Love continues on that way. Would you rather like that, that that first hungry goal to, uh, today? That's the exact thing Rashford would do. Just going I, right right in between. I, I think it was uh, uh, Jinter and Hummels who went he went in between. I believe but so. But just crept right in and 
And I want I, w- I want to get both of your opinions on this, but would you drop Harry Kane for Marcus Rashford, no. especially for this game? No, no. Like I'm as much as I complain about Harry Kane about how he's playing playing in a, in a single pivot for some reason. I have no idea why. It's still Harry Kane. It's still we we won't we won't advance advance past the next round without Harry Kane. Like like it or not. I need him to be a striker for my personal sanity, but yeah, I, I, I can't think about dropping Harry Kane at this point. I mean, when when you know when the tide is going against him, he always seems to just give you that moment of magic. You know, if if you guys remember that goal against Barcelona that he scored for Spurs, the way he just cut in and then I, mean, I think it was a couple of seasons back. You know, that's the kind of Harry Kane you want to see if England has to go forward. If not, then I mean, it's curtains. That's if you want to be an England if you want to be an England legend. Score against Germany in a knockout round at Wembley to win the game, and then follow that up with a penalty. Statue's <laughs> going up tomorrow. Um, um, but actually, so just to add with England fast, if they get past uh, Germany, and then facing either Sweden or Ukraine, after that, the next toughest opposition is theoretically Holland. Frank de Boer, that's the next hardest opposition. If we get past Germany, it might be coming home. Okay. Pump the brakes. <laughs> go slow, man. Go slow. Pump the brakes. You can only Allow go one, one. You can only go one game at a time. And I think that this brings us to a wrap. And who 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 have you guys been most impressed with through these through these three groups, through these final set of games? And who's going to be the most important player going into the next round for these teams? I gotta go Kevin De Bruyne. As soon as he got inserted into the Belgian squad, it he he transformed that. He was incredible. So if he keeps going, wow. Yeah, but I'm gonna go off the beaten path. I went off the beaten path last time last time we talked, and I'm gonna pick Emil Forsberg. This Sweden team is tenacious, it's tough, it has a winnable game, and it only wins that on the back of Emil Forsberg. But I think that that'll do it for us tonight. Looking forward to a lot of knockout football in the days to come. So we'll, we'll be back to talk, to break that all down um, next time. You can find you can find all of the other work and please come back, subscribe on your podcatcher at the master at mastermind site on social media. Uh, download, like, um, give us five stars if you can. Give us a review on wherever you're listening to this. It really helps the show grow. And where can people find you guys? People can find me on uh, Twitter and Inst- Twitter and Instagram at John Townsend ninety nine. Um, yeah, talk about soccer, basketball, football, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and yeah, that'd be great. And Sujay, you were truly a hero tonight. What time is it in India? right now it's, it's five in the it's five in the morning as as we Get sign off sleep. five o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah, you need some sleep you also need some twitter followers where can they find you i mean i'm on facebook i'm on i'm not on twitter yet so i'll get on, i'll get on twitter now so <laughs> I, on facebook they can find me at sujay Gaurav, yeah. and you can find my work at debarp 14 i'm just gonna plug myself re- really quick i just had an article published in a small magazine about um croatia croatian football fascism and the like so if any of that sounds of interest to you please go and give it a listen but for myself sujay and john thank you for listening and uh, have a good night we'll be back to round up action after the round of 16. <laughs>